that. One thing due today for you guys, you don't need to worry about homework seven, that's already done for you. Solar observations project is due today. Um, that does mean due six o'clock tomorrow if you want to submit it through the solar observations Dropbox on D2L. So if you have it now, I'll take it. Uh, one thing some people do like to do is to turn in the graphs or the data tables so you don't have to worry about that. So you don't have to worry about that before. Uh, worry about scanning them or getting them to me some way. You can just submit the text portion that way. If you want to do that, I do recommend that you know make a copy of it or something so you have something. If you haven't done all the write-up yet, you may want to be able to have the graphs to look at. So if you want to make a copy of them and just leave them with me, you know, either between classes or right after class, you know, come back afterwards and leave them in my mailbox or leave them with me. If you want to do that, you're also welcome to scan them or photograph them and attach them some other way. You're welcome to do that as well. But I know a number of people in my other class have done that and have given me their graphs and their graphs and data table already, so that's done with and they don't have to worry about dealing with submitting those on D2L. Exam replacement, if you're going to do that, takes the place of one of your exams, 50 points worth, and will drop your lowest exam for that grade. That's due on Monday, so if you're going to do, if you're going to do that, I do need that on Monday. Um, quiz 7 does not apply. We've already done quiz 7 here. Homework 8 is due on December the 7th, and quiz 8 will be in class on December the 7th. That's the nice easy one. I want everyone to get a perfect score on. List the planets in order. So start with the sun. Yes, sun is number one when I start from the center of the solar system because I, because of the way I include that way, way we include that. That's the close. That's the first thing. We work our way outward from the center of the solar system. So I usually have someone who does it and starts. To, oh, I know this. I'm going to do Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and then get to the end and realize they got to put sun in there and then they got to go and redo, redo it all. So, sun is first. But that's, that's the, what you're going to do there, so that's quiz eight. iTunes quiz four, which I sort of vaguely mentioned but didn't put up last time, will be available starting on Friday and it will be available through the final exam. So for your case it will be available starting next Friday, a week from today, through the Wednesday. So you'll have, and I'll remind you again on the Wednesday, if you haven't taken that last quiz, you have the option to. If you don't take it, I'm dropping two quizzes, so if you choose not to and you don't feel like you want to deal with it or you've taken the final and you hadn't done that yet and you just don't want to see any more astronomy, you know, not taking it won't hurt you, won't, won't lower your grade. It's, it's a, you'll get a zero on that and that will be dropped. But if you've missed another grade or anything somewhere, that one will be a chance to you know, drop, a, drop a quiz you missed or drop a quiz you didn't do very good on. So you'll have one more option. So two of these quizzes, either the eight of these or of the four iTunes, I will drop your lowest two of any of those. And then the final exam. Yay, November the, uh, November, November? No, November's over, sorry. December the 12th, November the 12th. Didn't you, all, didn't you love the final exam we took a couple weeks ago? You don't remember? No? Oh, goodness. We made it so easy to grade, nobody was here. <laughs> no, Wednesday, December the 12th at 9 o'clock, right here. Two hours worth, and I'll go over it a little bit more in detail, probably Wednesday or Friday of next week. But basically, study your four exams, study the material since exam four and that'll be the material that's covered on the final. So you don't need to go back and review old lecture notes or old notes, anything before the, through exam four. All you got to look at is those four exams. That way you can focus your studying on the newer material that we're going through right, going through right now. So, questions? No? No? All good? All right. Picture of the day for today is some of the nebulae in the constellation of Cygnus. Cygnus is the swan. 
and this constellation is nicely overhead in the summertime um, here. It's uh, yeah, just about overhead goes through in the early evening in mid-late summer. You can see it straight overhead. It's also known as the Northern Cross, or at least part of it is known as the Northern Cross. So you'll see a set of about four stars going here and then a couple more going across, making the cross, ma making the cross shape. And the Northern Cross, though, is not a constellation. The constellation is Cygnus. The Northern Cross is what we call an asterism. Much like the Big Dipper is not a constellation. You know, contrary to what some people think, the Big Dipper has nothing to do with the constellation. It's part of a constellation. It's seven bright stars that make out the Dipper. But the whole constellation is Ursa Major, the great bear, the large bear. So that's the whole constellation, which includes a lot more stars than just the Dipper. So an asterism is just sort of a grouping of bright stars. And that's what the Big Dipper is. That's what the Northern Cross is. And the Summer Triangle is another one. Actually, one of the stars in the Northern Cross, the bright one, Deneb, which is actually visible over here, is actually part of the Northern Triangle, Southern Summer Triangle, which is three bright stars, two up overhead about like this, and one down towards the south that are nicely visible in the evening sky in the summertime. The gas clouds, again, a lot of it we've talked about before. Star formation regions, this is part of our Milky Way galaxy we're seeing. We're looking towards the disk part of that galaxy. And you're seeing areas, darker areas where there's denser, where stars may currently be forming. Some other areas that have been illuminated by the very bright stars around it. So lots of gas, lots of dust around that are heating up, that are, is heating up that nebula. And of course, all subject to change when the newest stars form come back in 100,000 years, come back in a million years, new stars will likely have condensed out of some of this gas and dust and will now be illuminated, having broken out of their cocoons, and will change the entire landscape of the, of the nebula. You might see stuff illuminated that you didn't see before that wasn't close enough to a bright star. All of a sudden, it's getting energy. And other objects, as stars die, will no, may no longer be illuminated. There's no energy to supply them anymore. Now, there's a number of different nebulae on here. The North American Nebula is one, so it looks like an outline of the United States here. Right? There's you know, New England and the Great Lakes, you know, vaguely there's the East Coast, West Coast. Not perfect, but not, know, sort of a halfway decent. You can sort of see where someone got that. There's also the Pelican Nebula in there. The further up is the Crescent Nebula. And up towards the top is the Tulip Nebula. So if you see all of them in there, great. You've got great imagination. Um, otherwise, you know, the, just whatever object sometimes you happen to make, you know, what you happen to look at in a certain image, and they get that name, and it kind of, kind of sticks with them. So, any questions on the pictures? Picture. Just one picture today. No? All right. They're just eager to get back to cosmology, I know. All right, what's going to happen to the universe? So, where we were looking at last time, we were getting confused. I don't know, we've been confused, but um, we were getting confused because we'd expect in the universe, as things are expanding, if there's only gravity, is the only force that acts over big distances of any significance, that everything should be slowing down. It means that when we look at these very distant galaxies and we measure their distances by the supernova explosions, that the distant ones should have been moving faster. Right? When we look way back out in the distance, when we're looking at you know, thousands, uh, thousands of mil billions of parsecs, you know, three billion parsecs, ten billion parsecs out, we should start to see this diverging. We should start to see that they are, were moving faster in the past, and that if we look nearby, they've had time to slow down. But that's not what we're seeing. The numbers that we find when we do this analysis 
shall all point, as you see all the dots up there, pretty much consistently point to an accelerating universe. Meaning that it was going slower in the past and it's now accelerating and expanding faster than it should. So what's going on that is actually causing gravity to not work right? You know, gravity's not slowing these things down. It's supposed to slow everything down. What is pushing everything apart? What kind of anti-gravity exists that is causing things to push apart? Now, we'll come back and look at that. Sort of leaving it in there. That's where we left off last time. I've got one more topic to go over first, sort of with our study of the of the Big Bang, and then we'll come back and look a little bit more at the ideas of you know what might be going on here shortly. Oops. No, I did have one more. Okay. Well, how do we explain it? I'm going to introduce dark energy. Then I'll come back and talk about dark energy a little bit more. Dark energy is sort of a, it's what we call a vacuum pressure. It's sort of an energy that space happens to have, that just empty space has this certain amount of energy associated with it, which actually works as a pressure pushing things apart. So that would be a reason to explain a, a model that has been advanced to try to explain why things are accelerating a lot faster than they would be. The more dark energy there is, the faster, the further up here, the faster things are getting bigger and bigger. This is the size of the universe versus time. So how big is the universe at any given time? We're right here right now. You know, all the models fit there perfectly. If we can go back, here's what it would have been like if there was never a Big Bang. It would have looked like this. If there was a nice static universe, something happened here. Here's the Big Bang depending on the specific values. And you know, what's happening? What's happening? Well, we're, what we're getting is we're getting all numbers that are way up here, that are so that the universe is expanding much, much faster than we would expect. And it's accelerating. It should, it should be slowing down. You know, anytime you launch, any, you launch anything into space, it's always, Earth is always pulling on it. It should overall, because of that, if that's the only force acting, would slowly slow it down. If you could just send a rocket out into space, launch it with escape velocity, it's still going to be going a little bit slower a year from now than it was. I mean, Earth is pulling it down. It may never be able to stop it. We might not have that kind of gravitational force. But we should slow it down. Again, that's ignoring anything else in the, in the universe. But when you're looking at the whole universe, you're looking at everything. So all these gravity, everything, so all these galaxies are pulling on each other. They should be tugging and slowing each other down. Whether it would be enough to stop it, you know, to have the universe reach some sort of maximum size and then come back down, that's a good question. We don't know for sure of that, but certainly enough that it should be slowing down. That the, the amount of acceler the amount of the velocity should be changing, should be going lower and lower each time. So one possible explanation is what they call a vacuum pressure or a cosmological constant. Now the cosmological constant comes out of Einstein's equations. It's actually a person per ah, perfectly reasonable part of his equations because when you solve certain equations in calculus, there is, you can always put in a constant. It's naturally there. It disappears when you solve the equation, so there's no way to tell what the constant was exactly. But it's, there's always a constant when you solve these certain equations. That's what comes up in Einstein's. There is a cosmological constant that you can put there, and depending on the exact value of it, which we don't know, but we're seeming to measure that it's actually a very positive value saying that the universe is expanding and will continue to expand and never, you know, will never contract. Things will get further and further apart, galaxies will get further and further away from us, and pretty soon we'll be left with just, you know, our galaxy in the, in the great void as everything else, you know, has disappeared, has zipped off there, and if things are accelerating faster and faster, 
then it'll be harder and harder to actually see many of these distant objects. So that's sort of what we think it is. We think it's some kind of dark energy that actually makes up a very big percentage of the mass energy in the universe. What we know is a few percent, all the stars, all the galaxies, all the gas clouds, everything we've studied so far is maybe, well, probably less than 5% of the material in the universe. Maybe 30% of it is the dark matter. Everything else is this dark, mysterious dark energy, which we don't know a whole lot about yet. Okay, now I'm going to jump in. I'll come back and look a little bit more about dark energy in a minute. But we're going to talk here about sort of the evidence for the Big Bang. And what we have is this was found in 1964, so 48 years ago now. And this is an old radio telescope, so different than the style, some of the styles we've looked at. It's got a big horn shape here. But same process is still the same, that this would collect radio waves, focus them down here where they'd be, where they'd be analyzed. And what these two researchers were trying to do was to get, find all the sources of noise. So what was around them that was causing radio interference so that they could eliminate it. So they're trying to be able to find out. If you can find out what the source of noise is, okay, the sun's out there. We know how much the sun is from, we can, we can take that into account. You know, we know how much there's some kind of you know, radio interference here on Earth. We can take that into account. We can eliminate it from our analysis. And we can actually get the best radio observations we can. But they found some noise they couldn't get rid of. The last little bit they were unable to remove from their radio antenna. It came from every place, all the time. So it wasn't like it was something on Earth that might have been turned on and off. It was something that was always on and always the same amount, coming from all directions. So it didn't matter whether you looked in the sky here or you looked in the sky there or up there or wherever you looked. You always got the same amount of, same amount of energy. Not a lot, very low amount, but it was always there. And when you're trying to eliminate, when you eliminate all your other sources of noise, and you can't figure out what this last little bit is. What is it coming from? And what they detected was the photons that were left over from that explosion that created the universe. So we've actually seen those. Those photons that were created would have been very strong gamma rays, right? Very intense explosion, very high energy. But because of the expansion of the universe, the cosmological redshift, those particles have changed in wavelength in 14 billion years. They used to be high energy gamma rays when the universe was teeny tiny, but now that the universe has expanded so much, they're actually been stretched out into the radio part of the spectrum, radio microwave part of the spectrum. And that's what they were finding. So here's what we would have seen at one second after the Big Bang. Universe was just a sea of energy, all gamma rays. Out here, same type of black body spectrum we've looked at before. Drops off to the highest energy, drops off slower here. And what it's done as it's expanded is it's just slowly gone down. So after one second, the universe was essentially a wash in gamma rays. After 100,000 years, the universe had expanded enough that it stretched all those gamma rays into visible light. The universe would have been filled, instead of being filled with radio waves as it is right now, where you see radio waves coming from all over, you'd have seen visible light coming from all over. So after 100,000, that's before anything formed, that's before galaxies, anything else would have had been able to form. But the universe would have been a wash in light, invisible light. So if you could go back there and have some way to survive, the universe would just be glowing brightly in visible light, as we're used to seeing. After 10 million years, 
It had stretched that out to the infrared, so the universe would have glowed brightly in the infrared. Today, it's stretched out into the radio or the microwave part of the spectrum. So that's when they were all, again, we're just, we've shifted them all, so they've, all their, they've been shifted into the radio part of the spectrum now, and it gives us a temperature of the universe. So even empty space has a temperature, and it's about three degrees. Three degrees Kelvin, not three degrees Fahrenheit, which would be pretty cold, not three degrees Celsius, which wouldn't which would be a little bit warmer, about what we got right now, huh? Um, three degrees Kelvin is three degrees above the minimum temperature you can possibly have. That's minus 270 degrees um, Celsius and minus 400 and, 400 and something degrees Fahrenheit. So bitterly cold, but if you're just out there in the depths of space with nothing else, space itself has a temperature. And that temperature that we're seeing is the leftover heat of the Big Bang. It's been cooling off for 14 billion years. It's gone from being intensely hot you know, hotter than the center of a star to being three degrees. And it continues to cool off. You could come back, you know, billions of years from now, it's slowly cooling off. It'll go from, you know, three degrees to, you know, 2.9, 2.8, it'll slowly be decaying down towards zero. Never actually get there, it'll, but it'll slowly cool off over, again, over billions and trillions of years. And you note that it goes much quicker at first. We went from one second. It only took 10,000 years to go from gamma rays to optical. It took about 10 million years to go to infrared, and it took billions of years to get down to the radio. So it's slowing down. It's not going to change that drastically that if we were to come back and measure it 100 years from now, we're still going to get exactly the same number. Come back and measure it 1,000 years from now, you're going to get the same number. We've got to come back billions of years from now to actually see it declining at this point. Whereas earlier, you know, if you were here in the, when it was all gamma rays, you could have measured very quickly in a human lifespan you know, how quick it was decaying. Because it only took you know, 10, 100,000 years to get from gamma rays to optical. So it went through all gamma rays, x-rays, ultraviolet to optical in that very short period of time. Now, since the discovery, we've been able to measure it. And it matches perfectly with the black body curve. The blue is exactly what you'd expect from a black body with the specified temperature. Where you, what you would expect at each wavelength, so at each wavelength, in this case frequency, what intensity you should get. And at the very low frequencies, again, it's matching perfectly. You know, much better than our solar observations do, right? For the most part. But very accurate observations. Actually, if, you know, if, you did, if we did really precise solar observations, we got detailed equipment, set it up all in the same place at the same time, we should get something that fits exactly on the curve of the numbers that I get you. Certainly there's measurement errors and things that come into effect that you get to talk about in your project, but you would actually get something that would be quite like this if you made you know, perfect observations. And they fit. You know, right through there, they fit exactly on that curve. So it's very precise. It's exactly the, the spectrum we would get from an object that has been cooling off from a very high temperature to a very cool temperature after about 14 billion years. So what does that mean? It means that, we're that the universe has been changing. So a long time ago, the universe was dominated by radiation. So that's the blue section here. That first you know, 100,000 years or so where it was dominated by radiation before it got down to like the visible light portion. The whole universe was completely dominated by radiation. Matter couldn't do anything. There was some matter there, but it couldn't condense. It couldn't do anything. There was so much radiation that it would break apart anything that tried to form. So even atoms couldn't form. 
It was impossible to form an atom because there's so much radiation, so many gamma rays and x-rays and everything floating around that as soon as something started to form, it would be ripped apart. In the next stage, the pink stage here, is when it becomes dominated by matter. That's a lot of what we see in the universe. It's not quite where we are right now. We're actually out here. We're at a little over 10 billion years. But most of what we see, don't forget, when we look out in sky, we're looking back in time, so we're looking back millions to billions of years. A lot of the galaxies and things, the distant galaxies we're looking at, were from this matter-dominated era. What we have now, as the universe expands, the radiation density drops down very quickly. That's the blue line, so radiation becomes less and less important. As the universe expands, the density decreases. The matter density decreases as the universe expands, but the dark energy density doesn't. Dark energy density stays exactly the same. We think that dark energy is a property of space itself. So if it's tied to the space, it doesn't decrease in density. It stays exactly the same as the universe expands. Meaning that eventually, as the universe gets bigger and bigger, it's just sitting there calmly. You know, it's, it's nothing here. It's meaningless when you talk about the radiation-dominated era starts to become a little bit more important here. It actually takes over and becomes more dominant than radiation, but still not, still matters to overwhelms it. But once you get out here, there's 10 billion years. We're at about 14 billion years, just slightly past that. You know, we're actually getting into an era where the dark energy starts to dominate. And the dark energy works as sort of a pressure, almost like an anti-gravity pushing things apart. So material is getting pushed apart, and that's causing the acceleration that we see, we believe we see now. So that objects, closer objects, things that we see that are in this dark energy dominated era, are actually expanding faster than the original objects that would have started slowing down. Matter was dominant, it would have slowed them down. So when we look way back in the past, the objects were expanding, were expanding slower, they were slowing down, but since then we've crossed over and things have started expanding faster again. But again, recall, when we're looking out there, when we look back, you know, a big chunk of the universe, we could be looking back into this matter-dominated era. Not way back here. That's the very early history of the Big Bang, but this would be about one billion years. So we could be looking back in this very area right here where the crossover was occurring, where matter still dominated over the, over the energy. Matter was dominant over energy, matter was dominant over dark energy. But as we go through time, come back in another 10 billion years or 100 billion years, these are going to continue to decline. Energy, energy radiation gets very unimportant. Matter starts getting less and less important. Dark energy becomes more important and pushes things apart faster and faster and faster. So likely in the future, that will mean that we are expanding at an even greater rate and that material is you know, spread apart even more than we see today. Now we talk about the expansion, and I don't remember if I went over this for sure, but I talked about it in one of my other classes online, so I wanted to make sure I did it again. When we talk about expansion of the universe, that's the space between the galaxies. Doesn't mean a galaxy is getting bigger. So our Milky Way galaxy isn't growing in size, and it's not just because I had that as a misconception on one of my classes where they thought, well, the Milky Way galaxy is going to spread out and disappear. Milky Way galaxy is gravitationally bound together. It's not going to expand. But the space between galaxies, the space between galaxy clusters, that's what really does the expanding. Anything that's gravitationally bound together is what the problem is. Is where, the, is where, the, is where things are not going, will not, will not expand. So the Earth isn't slowly getting bigger as part of the universal expansion. 
You know, the solar system is not, the sun isn't getting bigger. Those things are not expanding. It's the space between the galaxies is what we're talking about. Now dark energy is one method of talking about this or one solution to what we see. Other one that I did mention sort of briefly in some other cases is that maybe gravity's wrong. Maybe gravity behaves differently at certain large scales than it does on smaller scales. So maybe what the problem is isn't that there's all this dark energy. You know, there, there's no evidence for it other than this gravitation. You know, we can't see it, we can't detect it, there's nothing else we can understand about it except that it explains why the universe is accelerating. So could it be that gravity operated differently billions of years ago than it does now? Or at those much larger distances, is gravity different? Do we need another new theory of gravity to take over from Einstein that still has to explain everything that Einstein gives us? Right? It's got to be able to explain gravitational lensing. It's got to be able to explain the bending of light. It's got to be explain the orbits of the planets in the, around the stars, the plan- orbits of stars, orbits of galaxies that it works so well for, but still explain how things differ when you get to these very large scales or very long time ago. So that is signi- another significant possibility. There's been other theories proposed, but nothing that's been able to really you know, make a prediction that we can test. Make some prediction that says, you know, here's what's going to happen. And unfortunately, if you're trying to go back, you know, trying to predict what's going to happen in the future, it can make lots of nice predictions, but if you've got to wait 10 billion years to find out, it's going to take a little while. We're not going to find out, you know, this lifetime or next lifetime, the Earth will be long gone by the time we could actually figure it out. So that's what we think is going on right now. That's sort of the current state is that this dark energy has become dominant. That's what's pushing everything apart. So causing the universe to accelerate faster now than it was in the past. All right. So where did everything come from in the universe? Um, when you start form, when you have this intense, intense explosion, everything is condensed together. Everything is in a very, very small space you've essentially got a giant star. So the whole universe, think of the whole universe for that very first instant as a great star. So hydrogen is the first thing that's able to form. Okay, Very simple, it's just a proton and electron, so as soon as particles can start condensing, you'll form, you'll form, you'll form hydrogen. You'll form protons, you'll form neutrons, you'll form electrons. This might look vaguely familiar from a while ago, right? the proton-proton chain. That would have occurred early on. Early on, this, the universe was like a great star. So hydrogen fuses together. I'm not going to worry about going through the whole process again, but hydrogen to deuterium, fused together to helium-3, fused together helium-4. So we actually formed some helium. So we were able to form hydrogen, simple atom, just, proton, just protons. Those would condense naturally. Helium, we were able to form some of that through fusion, and that's about it. Now, if the universe had expanded slower, we could have formed more, right? We could have had very high temperatures. We could have gone, and you could have gone through helium fusing to carbon and to oxygen. You could have formed all the different elements. But the universe was expanding very quickly. Expands, cools off. Once you drop below a required temperature, you no more fusion. So you formed some hydrogen and some helium. You got that far to form you know, 90% hydrogen, 10% helium. And by the, at that point, the universe had expanded to, to a cool enough temperature that no more fusion was able to go on in the universe as a whole. Yes, in individual stars that would form later, fusion would occur, but not in the universe as a whole. Now, deuterium 
was formed during this, during this time. Deuterium, if you recall, was hydrogen with one proton and one neutron. So it was an isotope of hydrogen. It burns very easily. It is very easy to convert deuterium into helium. So vast majority of it was formed from the heat. It was got, gotten rid of in the Big Bang, but not all of it. Deuterium is one thing you cannot form in a star. It's part of the proton-proton chain, but it disappears at a much lower temperature. So we need 10 million degrees to fuse hydrogen into helium. With deuterium, you only need a few million degrees. I can't remember if it's two, three million degrees, relatively low amount compared to what you need to fuse hydrogen. So if you're fusing hydrogen, you're easily getting rid of all the deuterium. So it means any deuterium we find around today must be left over from the Big Bang. Anything that we see has to be left over. All the hydrogen is from the Big Bang. So hydrogen would be there. The deuterium would be from the Big Bang. Helium, some of it could be. Some of it could have been formed in stars. We do form helium in stars. Some of that could have gotten back out, to the, back out into the universe. But anything we see in deuterium must be, we say primordial, just meaning it's the original. It's the original material that formed. So here's sort of a sketch of the universe. There we are at the center. Hey, we're back to being the center of the universe, just like we started, right? Yay! Not really. No matter where you were, you'd be, you'd be looking at the center. So no matter where you are there. But as we look back in time and we look back, you know, 14 billion, billions of parsecs out there, we see the photosphere of the universe when it was a star. Okay, the universe was a star. We can see that photosphere at this era. So that's the photosphere. We can't see beyond that. Just like in the sun, we can see to the photosphere, but we can't see deeper inside it. In the universe, we can see out to the photosphere when it was bright. And what, we, what that era is, this is the time when everything started to form atoms. So you went from having protons, protons, and electrons scattered around, not combining together. The universe was opaque. So radiation didn't travel through it, couldn't stream through the rest of the universe. Then, as the universe expanded, eventually it cools off enough that you can form atoms. Once you start forming atoms and combining those protons and electrons, all of a sudden the universe becomes transparent and the light can stream through to the Earth. So that's the edge, that's the photosphere of the universe essentially where we can see everything coming from. We can't see back beyond it. That's what we see as the Big Bang. So we don't see actually the initial explosion, we see when it was actually released. And that's where the cosmic background radiation is coming from. It was, you know, gamma rays at the time. It was incredibly intense energetic particles that have since cooled off because of the expansion of the universe and has gone from being in incredibly intense gamma rays down to being radio waves that we see at the current time. So it all comes from this era when everything combined together. When the electrons and protons first combine together, now all of a sudden we can see. The universe becomes transparent. That's sort of what happens at the photosphere of the sun. All of a sudden you have all these particles down there so dense you can't see through any further, any further layers. You can't see deep inside the sun. But further out, once you get a little further out, everything has started to combine together. Light is now free to travel and actually can get through to us. All right. Some of the problems we have that we're trying to explain, and this is what we're going to explain as what we call cosmic inflation. 
has nothing to do with the dollar being worth less. You know, it's co cosmic inflation is in the inflation of the of the universe, not just the universe expanding, but actually inflation means it was getting big really, really quickly. So in a fraction of a second, in fact, a fraction of a second that's so small you can't even imagine it. You know, we're talking. Uh, put a one followed by like 30 some zeros, fraction, one fraction of a second, you know, point zero zero zero, go on 30 times, one second, that the universe went from being the size of a nucleus to the size of a universe in that tiny fraction of a second. That's what we call cosmic inflation. We use that to explain a couple of things that we see. And one of the things that we see is that the cosmic background radiation looks the same no matter where you look in the sky. So if I look out 14 billion light years this way, and I look out 14 billion light years this way, the cosmic background radiation is completely smooth. Well, how does this one know what that temperature is? There, ha there, isn't enough, there isn't no time to communicate, right? It took 14 billion years for this energy to get to us. It's still another 14 billion years for it to tell that what its temperature was. There hasn't been time for it to be in, in contact. So the universe would eventually if it were irregular, would eventually smooth out a temperature. This is if you put something hot, you know, heat up the electric stove, heat up the stove, heat up a grill, it gets real hot, turn it off. Well, it slowly will cool off and eventually it'll match the temperatures of everything else. How does this know? How does one edge of the universe know what the temperature is in the other? They haven't had time to sort of smooth out all those temperature variations. There has not been enough time. It's barely been enough time for that one to get to us. So how does this, how does this side know what's going on here. And that's what we call the horizon problem. Everything looks the same. No matter where I look in the universe, that radiation is exactly the same. Same amount of radiation, same intensity, same temperature. So there were no temperature variations. You know, if it was that big, you know, why wouldn't something be a little bit, wouldn't you expect something to be a little bit hotter? 3.1 degrees? 2.9 degrees? You know, you expect some little variations and there's nothing. So it's almost as though it was all the identical temperature and if you imagine that as being the identical temperature and being very, very small, and then just zoop, zipping out real quick, again, not just 10 times, 100 times, a million times, but billions of billions and billions and billions and billions of times bigger, all at once, as that expands, that means they were in contact, right? For that instant, they were in contact a long time ago. Then all of a sudden, the universe went from being this to whoop. So they were in contact, would have meant that you'd have been able to smooth out all the temperature variations early on. Might even mean that we're only seeing a small portion of the universe. Maybe there's a lot more beyond there that we just hasn't had time, light hasn't had time to get to us yet. You know, could there be more to the universe than just our little bubble of it? We saw that in the video last, you know, are there multi, is there a multiverse? So is there more beyond, you know, just a single, single universe? The other that we see is what we call the flatness problem. If the un since the universe is still here, we're here, right? Either that or we're all a big imagination of something, right? You're all figments of my imagination. I'm the, no, no, you're the one who's real. I'm the imagination. Right? <laughs> I'm the one who's being imagined. Okay. That'd be good for the final, huh? Okay. Flatness problem means that because the universe is still here, that means that it had to be the density early, early on had to be almost exactly the critical density. That density right between the perfectly balanced universe that was perfectly balanced between expanding and contracting, it had to be almost exactly. One part in 10 to the 15th 
Well, it's one, tr- one trillionth would be one in ten to the twelfth, so one quadrillionth. I mean, that's pretty precise that you had to be exactly that to one to, to point zero zero, fifteen zeros, and a one. It had to be that precise. So why does the universe look so flat? You know, did, did we just happen to? Okay, maybe we just happened to have that exact amount. But if we'd been a little bit further off, if we had a little bit more density than that, then the universe would have long since collapsed. You know, would have expanded out and collapsed back down and we wouldn't be here talking about it. If it was a little bit less than that, then the universe would have accelerated out and we'd be probably pretty punished sitting here all by ourselves. Right? Okay, our galaxy, but you know, if it's early enough, might have been before a lot of galaxies form, you might have a little tiny galaxy here and that would be it, or a few stars. So, depending on how much it differed, it means that you had to be incredibly close back here. So why does the universe look so flat when it doesn't look flat now? Right? Look at all our matter, it does not look like it's a flat universe. It looks like it's a wide open universe accelerating, accelerating out there. So it must have looked very flat early on. So the horizon and the flatness problems are explained by this cosmic inflation. And here's sort of what it did. And it's between 10 to the minus 35th seconds and 10 to the minus 32 seconds. Again, you can't imagine anything that short, right? Hard enough to imagine a tenth of a second, maybe. Hundredth of a second. Starts to get pretty hard to imagine, you know, hundred times a second. They're getting things that are pretty big. You're getting one followed by 30-some zeros times every second. So, incredibly short period of time, almost instantaneously after the Big Bang. So, Big Bang occurred, even if you blinked, you'd miss it, you'd miss it by, millions, by billions and billions of times. But what ha- apparently happened is the universe was expanding, getting bigger and bigger, and it shot up in size. So it went from being the size of a nucleus, this would be like a nuclear size, up until the size of a universe. And now it's expanding outward again. So during this very short time period, the universe expanded by tremendous amount. 10 to the 50th times bigger. Again, you can't imagine it, right? 10 to the 50th times. I can imagine 10 times bigger than something. I can imagine maybe 100 times bigger, 1,000 times bigger. Well, put a 1 followed by 50 zeros if you want to write it out. And that's how many times bigger the universe got in that fraction, tiny fraction of a second. But, but, if, but if we accept this, then that explains why, it can help us to explain why the universe looks so flat and why the horizon, why it's the same temperature in all directions. Why does the background look so smooth? So that is able to explain, it allows us to be able to explain why this, how this works. And what we get is that it solves both of these problems. Got our little ant here on a balloon. Well, if the ant is there on a balloon, Walking around a balloon with a radius of 10 centimeters. Okay, you can start. You can see the curvature. Okay, you can actually see some signs of the curvature. Things don't look very flat, right? You definitely can see signs of the curvature here. Here, a little bit bigger. If we take that balloon, we got quite a flexible balloon there because you're expanding it out to one kilometer. So, quite a balloon there as you expand that balloon out to a kilometer in size. Well, there's still some. It looks a lot flatter. But you can only see this little range around it. You can't see the entire balloon. You can only see this little range around it. And if you expand it out even further, again, what we may be seeing is only a very tiny portion of the entire universe. All we can see is what there's been time for light to travel. So only the area where light has had time to travel. So what's out beyond there, 
how the universe is curved is something we can't know because all we can see, if you've expanded this to 10 to the 48th meters, expand it that big, it's a straight line. Yes, it's got some very tiny curvature, but nothing that we can measure. That explains if we examine inflation, if that's what occurred, there's what the universe was like perhaps. Perhaps it was a closed universe or it is a closed universe. But now it expanded so greatly that we, this little ant out here, can only see this tiny fraction of the universe. Yes, it's tremendous. It goes out 14 billion light years that way, 14 billion light years. You know, we can see that stretch of it. But if the universe is many times bigger than that, you know, we can't see. We can't see way off over here where it's, starting, where it's curving. We can't, see that cur- we can't see that curvature. It's way off in the distance. Just because it's expanded that much. So it sort of explains the flatness problem. It's not that the universe is necessarily flat. It might be curved in like a closed universe. It might be curved like an open universe. But we can only see a little tiny piece of it. And our little tiny piece of it looks flat. Just as an ant. If you could take a balloon and blow it up to a kilometer in size, well, any little bit of that balloon is going to look pretty flat. If you're just looking at a little section of it, it's not going to look curved. So it sort of explains why everything looks so, 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 so flat in the universe and explains the need for having that density exactly the right amount. It didn't need to be. It's just our little section that looks flat and every little section will look flat, but overall we're not seeing the whole universe. So, formation. How do we form things? We started out looking at the large scale structures. How do we form the large scale structures in the universe? Well, you can't form them from mat- normal matter. So normal matter just clumping together wouldn't work because there was no way to, there's no way the background radiation would have been so intense at the time that there was no way that matter could clump together. You couldn't form atoms or molecules. The radiation was too intense. So before the time that atoms finally started to form, once it cooled off enough, you were not able to clump matter. So clump matter is how we start seeing things like stars and galaxies. So you're not going to be able to form those from instabilities in just the normal matter. And if they could have somehow, so if we could have made these variations, if we could have formed, you know, not galaxies, but you would have formed denser areas. You would have had more matter here, less matter here, more matter here, less matter scattered around, you'd have some denser pockets. If that occurred before the universe decoupled, the matter and the energy separated from each other, then you'd see variations in the microwave background. And we don't see any. It looks exactly the same no matter where you look. So that means that in terms of when everything split apart, when the matter and energy split apart very early in the history of the universe, everything must have been very smooth. So the matter must have been almost completely smooth. If it was not, we would have seen that in vari- we would have seen variations. We'd see the temperatures a little bit warmer, a little bit cooler. You'd see things off, you know, fractions of a degree here, fractions of a degree here. Doesn't mean that if it's three degrees, you're going to have some section that's ten degrees and some section that's one degree. But you know, you should see slight variations if the density had changed early on. So the density of matter, and matter I mean the matter we see, right? You know, the, ta- the tabletop, stuff that makes up us, hydrogen, helium dust and gas, all of that type of material, must have been completely smooth almost throughout the universe at the time. So because of the expansion of the universe, 
The clumps of normal matter, you could have a little bit because of the way the universe expand. Could have been a little bit denser, but there's a very limit. 50 to 100 times the density of their surroundings. Sounds pretty good. 50 to 100 times, that's a lot. But if you're going from you know, one particle in a big cube and you're going to 50, it's not, a big, it's not a really big difference. That's about the most you could have done based on the numbers that we see. The key is the dark matter. Dark matter behaves quite differently. Dark matter was not affected by radiation. Right? If it was, it would block out lots of light. It would block out things. It would, it would interact with radiation. It does not. The dark matter that exists in the galaxies and in the clusters of galaxies doesn't care about the radiation, so it was able to start clumping earlier. So it probably formed some kind of base around which galaxies and clusters of galaxies could form, which is why they're all related together today. So dark matter would have started to form these clumps, and after everything decoupled, then the normal matter, normal being a very subjective word at this point because it's this little tiny bit of the matter in the universe, but the normal matter that we're used to would have then clumped around. You would have had gravitational instabilities because of the dark matter. And then after the radiation density got low enough, the normal matter, our matter, would have been attracted to that and would have started to clump together. So the dark matter would have clumped early on before things started decoupling because it does not interact with the radiation. The normal matter, our matter, would have not clumped until after and would have followed the pattern formed by the dark matter. So perhaps that's why we see when we looked at clusters of galaxies, why we had, you know, we mapped out the cluster of galaxies. We had the dark matter scattered around there and concentrated in that cluster, and then the galaxies formed around that dark matter. Gravitationally, they interact. Other ways, they don't. The dark matter does not interact with any kind of radiation, as we can see. So here's sort of a sketch of what we think we might have seen. That early on, everything would have been completely smooth in the top frame. You would have had your normal matter, your little tiny bit of normal matter or our matter, if you want to call it. That, since normal, you know, there's a lot more dark matter out there than there is of ours, would have been pretty much uniformly spread out. So you see the little dots there. The red dots are the dark matter. The brighter dots are the, our, our normal matter. And after about one second, they would have just been all spread out. After thousands of years, the normal matter is still very spread out throughout the universe. It's just randomly placed throughout the universe. No big conden condensations of matter. But the dark matter was starting to, starting to gravitationally combine together. Instabilities, you'd get some area with a little bit more density and that would grow. That wouldn't happen with the normal matter because as things started to grow, the radiation was tearing it apart. The dark matter doesn't get torn apart. It doesn't interact with the radiation. So it's starting to clump together. And you can see some evidence, maybe a clump here, clump here, clump here. So even before everything is separating, before the matter and energy separate, you get some small clumps of the dark matter starting to form. Once things decouple, once radiation becomes much less important, then gravity takes over. Now you don't have that intense radiation separating everything. So after 100 million years here, you have the dark matter clumping very intensely. So gravitationally bound together. And the normal galaxy, our normal matter, clumps towards the center of those. It's gravitationally attracted to them. Because they interact, dark matter and normal matter interact gravitationally, just not through anything else. So you'd get galaxies forming here. Galaxies, galaxies clumped together. So galaxy clusters, galaxy clusters, big voids where there's hardly any material. 
and the galaxies, the normal galaxies, the ones that we've been studying, are actually sort of within, embedded within that dark matter. And that explains the dark matter that we see today. That explains what we see in terms of gravitational lensing, explaining how much matter there really is compared to that little tiny fraction that we're actually able to see. We see this. That's all we see when we look at the galaxies. When we study them gravitationally, we see evidence for this much matter. And again, it comes back to the last one. Is that the case? Is it gravitate? Is it, you know, is there all this dark matter there? There seems to be evidence for some of it, or is there something different about gravity? Are we going to find 100 years from now that there's a new theory of gravity that supersedes Einstein's that explains this without needing all this dark matter, without needing so much dark matter that explains how things would have occurred differently? It's hard to understand how that would work right now with how we believe the universe was early on, how we could have possibly formed the galaxies. But then there are lots of things that until the new theory comes along that says, oh, it's easy, here it is, you know, why didn't we see that a long time ago? You know, until somebody points it out, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily obvious. So perhaps something else will come up that explains it away without needing dark matter and dark energy and all of that stuff to explain what we see in the universe today. But that's the best that we have right now to be able to explain, explain what we're seeing here in the universe. But out of time, let me see what's next. I may just... Well, there's just sort of a simulation. I'm actually going to pull up. I have, I have one to show you that I'll do on Monday uh, to actually show you more of a simulation. These are some of the clips of it, just as taking a dark matter universe, so taking the material and letting it put all the material in the universe and just gravitationally interacting it and letting that run for billions of computer years, you know, accelerating the time, to see if you can form the type of features that we see today. And you'd have had a very smooth universe here, slowly clumps together. Again, dark matter is included in here, eventually getting a lot of the clusters that you see, star clusters, filaments, voids that we see today. So I, have, I do have a simulation of that that we can, I can run through and let you, let you see. I'll do that on Monday and let you look at that to give you sort of an idea of what's going on here. What you do get in this, the only problem that you get in this is that when you have a bounded universe, you tend to get things concentrated towards a center. Now in an unbounded universe or multi-dimensional, you're not going to get things combi combined towards the center. So you're not going to get a, con looks like a concentration of material. Yes, hey, there's a center to the universe. There it is. But that's not, that's, that's an artifact of the simulation. So in order to simulate it, you've got to put boundaries on it. I mean, computer is not going to know what to do if you say, well, there is no boundary. Just keep going. You know, it's not going to know what to do. So you do, you have to have some kind of boundaries to it. And, but the overall patterns, the voids, the filaments that we see are the same, similar to what we see in our own universe after we let this model run for 14 billion years. So it works based on current models, but is that the best or is something else better going to come up? And then we will come back, I will finish this on Monday because we've only got, we've only got a few more slides left on here. I'll do that, show you that simulation and finish the rest of this on Monday. And then we'll go on to the last chapter, chapter 18, which is life in the universe. Question? Questions? No? We're ready for lab. No, we want to get out of here. Yeah. One more week after this, so it's coming down, coming down quick to the end. Okay, I gotta get the computer set up, so if you